Aloha. You are listening to the Dangerous Love Podcast. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Peace Players, my favorite nonprofit organization. And we're going to start with actually two young women that I met in the Middle East uh, many years ago. They were young girls at the time. They're women now and have been pivotal figures in Peace Players in the Middle East. I want to introduce you to Doha. For those of you that listened to uh, or saw my TED Talk, I actually spoke quite a bit about Doha and the big request, Doha, to have you here today. Doha began the program. When did you start the program, Doha? Uh, I started, I joined Peace Players in 2006 and I'm still in till now. So for around 14 years. So 2006, 14 years. That's amazing. And so we found out that she's just turned 25, so that means that you started, <laughs> let's do the math. I was 10. When yeah, nine like around old. 9, 10, something Is that right? like that. Yep. 10 years old. She was, she was 10 years old. I met her when she was 10 years old. It's pretty amazing. Since then, she's gone on to university, just graduated uh, with a degree in social studies and English translation is now the full-time operations manager in Jerusalem for Peace Players, where she's a coach, and she helps lead the leadership development program. And she's coming to us today from Jerusalem, where she is sheltering in place, like everybody uh, in Jerusalem right now. Welcome to the show, Doha. Thank you. And then there's Toot, who's also coming to us today from Jerusalem as well. When did you start the program, Toot? I think in about 2010. 2010, a little bit later, how old were you when you started the program? 11, 12. And Toot just finished her two-year mandatory service uh, in the Israeli army. Three years. Were you in the army for three years? (laughs) Toot just spent three years uh, in her service in the Israeli army. She's just done with that commitment. She's preparing to start university and she's doing coaching and working with the leadership development program for peace players as well. Welcome aboard Toot. Thank you. We're really excited to have you both on the show to talk about what peace building looks like on the ground and both in an individual sense as well as on the larger scale and the impact that that it can have. I write a lot about both of you in uh, my new book, Dangerous Love, and my love affair with Peace Players. And I'm just going to quickly describe for our listeners what Peace Players is, and then we're going to get into your stories. So Peace Players is a nonprofit organization founded by Brendan and Sean Tui back in 2000, I think the year 2000 or 2001, they were college basketball players from Washington, D.C. They started the program first, I believe, in Northern Ireland, but then the full program actually started in South Africa. They moved to the Middle East in 2005. And so Doha, very early participant in 2006. And their idea was kids that learned to play together could learn to live together. And using the, using subordinate goals, they bring young Israelis and Palestinians or Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland or Turkish and Greek Cypriots in Cyprus or their latest project has been in the U.S. where they're in a number of cities bringing young people together through the game of basketball to bridge divides and to build leaders and to really resolve conflict. And it's super effective. It's actually way more effective than just dialogue groups or what have you. And and we have two products of that program 
with us today. And I actually wanted to start for those people that are skeptics, not having the founders talk about it, but two people that have been in the program and seen how it's affected their lives and the lives of their friends. And so I'm going to start with you, Doha. And I just want to tell a little bit about your story, how you found out about Peace Players, why you decided to join Peace Players, and what that that first experience was like for you when you were young. Sure. So um, actually, I started, you know, in 2006, as I said. And uh, so Peace Players, like an American guy, along with Summer, my coach, they came to my school. And they said they want to offer a basketball team for the girls. And they also explained the idea of meeting the other side, like meeting Israelis. Uh, But since I'm coming from a kind of conservative community, uh, as a Palestinian Arab, also female, it's kind of you have different barriers in front of you. And one of them was sports for girls. So all of my life, I lived in like in the village in uh, Jerusalem and they never... uh, they never offered the girl basketball or like any sports team. So Peace Players was the only opportunity for me to play sport and I really wanted to. And uh, actually they explained about meeting the other side, but I really wasn't uh, curious or I didn't wanna, it, that wasn't something catchy for me. I only joined for sports. So that was the big draw. It wasn't, oh, I get to meet Israelis. In fact, kind of the opposite was that was that considered like a barrier for you? Were you not interested in that? So where I live, uh, it's a three minutes away from Israeli neighborhood, but uh, we never go there. They never come to us. We don't walk, you know, near that uh, street. Uh, we don't make eye contact. And we always grow up uh, hating each other from the media, from life, from everywhere. Like that something wasn't... Uh, uh, it wasn't easy and wasn't wasn't common in my community. So um, offering basketball and meeting the other side was two um, like one great thing that really makes you want to join. And on the other hand, like something that doesn't want, like could stop you from joining. So, but um, I eventually joined, and I didn't I didn't tell my parents that I would be meeting Israelis because I really wanted to play sport, and I thought it might uh, I, I thought like they might stop me or stand in my way to continue doing what something that I love. Yeah. Okay, that's that's awesome. It's actually one of the points, right? That if you have dialogue groups, typically the people that show up are people that actually want to meet the other side and have that sort of conversation. One of the reasons basketball is so effective is that it's actually bringing in young people like Doha that really aren't interested in meeting the other side, but there's something they are interested in, in this case, uh, being able to play basketball and being a women's basketball team. I'm going to switch to Toot now for a second and have you tell us about how you were introduced to, to Peace Players and why you decided to join. Okay. Um, so kind of my story is actually pretty similar to Doha, but from a very different point of view. Um, but I think the ending is pretty much the same. The beginning is a little different though, because I grew up, um, in Western Jerusalem. I grew up in a Jewish household. I went to a Jewish school. Uh, I studied only in Hebrew, only with uh, other, um, Jewish Israeli kids. Um, I went to many after-school activities. I played basketball for, for a few years before, um, and that was my lifestyle. I mean, there was always these Arabs, uh, these other people that we would call them, but it would never be in my actual circle. I would see them um, on the news, on the media. I would um, maybe sometimes see them on the streets of Jerusalem, 
mostly from grown-up conversations and usually um, my understanding of the other people would be very negative. Um, I never meant them and I, I never wanted to. The only reason I joined Peace Players was also for the basketball. I played uh, for the university, the Jerusalem University team, a club team, um, for I think two years already. And um, my coach started offering me extra uh, practices on Fridays. It, would, it was really cool practices with um, the Israel National League's coach. It was very high basketball. We would get jerseys and, and balls, and that's the reason I came. And the basketball level was actually really, really high. Um, and there is the first time I met Doha and Aisha and uh, Jilan and Malak and all the other girls, but I, I didn't even notice it. The only reason I came in the beginning and then I kept coming the first few times was for better options to play basketball. And I mean, uh, you know, on the court, you don't have to speak so much or the language of basketball speaks for you. So maybe we would say um, be open in Hebrew, Arabic, English, whatever it worked. Um, we didn't really focus much on that. I think that came much later, the understanding that we're actually playing Arabs and Jews together. Yeah, so that is, I think that's a common narrative for most of our participants and peace players. They're not drawn in by the peace part. They're drawn in by the players part, right? They're they're drawn in by the chance to play basketball. And I think a lot of people are surprised to find out that there's a very high level of basketball that's taught at peace players. This isn't just basic basketball skills where we're really trying to get you into peace program. This is real basketball. And you really learned how to play, and both of you played in very competitive leagues um, in Israel, and in fact, even won the city championship uh, over other Israeli teams. You're the only mixed team out there uh, as well. And I think that's something that surprises people. You guys actually really love basketball, and basketball is a very serious part of that. Um, actually, when I was young, I watched. I used to watch like cartoons, and they always, you know. Uh, playing some basketball games and everything. And um, I actually, I wasn't, uh, like, I didn't have a favorite sport, but because the only opportunity was offered for me was basketball. So I fell in love the second I, I dribbled, like, I dribbled the ball. And it was the only opportunity, like, it was the only opportunity for me to play sport, and it was basketball, and I think it's, like, the best sport ever and the uh, and the uh, and i'm like i was really lucky that peace players was you know with the basketball play like you know tr playing basketball and doha peace uh, basketball isn't a particularly popular popular sport among palestinians is, is that is that accurate Yes, uh, let's say like uh, soccer, like uh, soccer is lit first, then comes the basketball. But um, now like the situation is kind of better. Like we have some like, you know, in Palestine, like Palestinians leagues and we have some clubs. It's like the, the situation like for sport is getting better. But like 15 years ago or like the second I started peace players, that was nothing like the no uh, uh, there was no attention. People would say it's a waste of time and people would say like, you know, we're under occupation and we have a lot of things to focus on instead of, you know, playing basketball or doing uh, tournaments or playing. So they thought like there's so it was kind of um, um, like secondary things, not like a really um, 
like you know important things in the community but now it's like kind of better toot why why basketball it's a good question i was trying to to think about the answer i think i i was always a, an athletic girl growing up like i was never into um the music or like i tried many different things and it was always um like something athletic something sports for me um and i think like I, I came to basketball by accident. My, my teacher at school suggested for me to go, and I fell in love with it. And when I try to think about why, I think one of the reasons is actually the team. I mean, you can't play basketball alone. You can't play, you know, you can't just go out in the court and play. It's not the same. It's not the same without the team. And I think that's not only why I love basketball so much, but why I think I fell in love with basketball with beast players because it, it adds a different dim dimension to the to the team um being with doha on the team you, you told um you said before about our championship uh, year championship game i think i'd never had a team that played like that and that was because we were best friends first and foremost we were a family we are a family and i think that's what's so important in the game of basketball you can't play alone you have to play together you have to know your players and i think uh that's that's one of the reasons I fell in love with it. Yeah, one of the key values of peace players is is a culture of of collaboration and problem solving. And and basketball is such a great sport for that, as you pointed out. Unless you're unless you're Aisha and play try to play one on five, like you have to you have to pass to your teammates. You have to incorporate everybody into the team. You have to learn how to work together and solve you know on offense you're solving the defense you're trying to figure out how to solve the defense as they try to stop you on defense you're trying to stop the offense and you have to work together you have to communicate if you want to win if you want to be successful and it's amazing how when you pair it with what peace players is trying to do basketball actually is teaching you a lot of the skills that you actually need to be you know successful in, in some of the other areas that peace players is talking about Another aspect I just want to point out, by the way, Israelis, though, they're crazy about basketball, right? They are, yeah. <laughs> maybe basketball is higher than soccer or football. I Israel. think, like, on the streets, maybe people would play uh, soccer more, but people follow the the European League and the NBA, and they, like, they love basketball. And that's also, I think, one of the yeah. reasons, like, all my guy friends were playing basketball, and being a girl that played basketball would always put me, like, in a different... In in a different place, you know, going and playing with the guys and recess during school. Um, all the teachers would call me the basketball player and uh, everybody would know like who I was because of that. That was also unique, I think. I want to also talk about this aspect and Doha mentioned it, but I think it's generally too. There are, people are also surprised when they get to peace players that while there are, there are men and boys that play in peace players, there's a major focus on girls and women uh, in, in peace players. And I think some of it's to what Doha mentioned. There's less opportunities, especially in sport for women. I know that's true in Palestine. I think that's less true in Israel, but still it's not even. And But that's not the only reason that there's a focus on on women in, in peace players. Can you talk to me a little bit about, about women and the role that women play in peace building and why, why you think it is so important that peace players in, in part focuses on women? So... Um... As a, as a participant in Peace Players and also as a coach, uh, I've seen like, you know, when Peace Players, we have to 
we play sports, we, we play basketball, we, we move, we, we move, but we also have to focus on like the leadership side on, or, 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 you know, uh, uh, you know, cooperative talking, public speaking, other skills that uh, don't involve, you know, sport. And from my experience, I've seen like boys are more competitive. Like boys, they want to play, you want to get a better player. They want to win games. Uh, That's what they, what they're interesting in, interest in. But I've seen like girls, they really more of a talker. Like they want to talk, they want to get to know each other. They want to, uh, build friendship like they're really like the social life is really important for them especially you know in in, in like in a teenager's age like age and you see like you see like whoever have you know more group of friends cool friends you know sport playing a sport in in a, in a place where you have you know lack of opportunities so you want to stand out you want to explore and find yourself you want to know where is your position so uh i think that's one of um the major uh, causes that we have of uh, 70% uh, females in Peace Square in the Middle East. Toot, you want to tackle that as well? Yeah, I would like to. I think um, one of the best, one of the basketball players, whoever plays basketball or watches basketball can uh, attest to that. One of the basketball players' greatest enemies would be the ego, um, playing with ego and wanting to hold the ball, wanting to be the one to shoot the basket, to make the winning shot, or to, to do everything um, by themselves. And I think that would also be, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Chad, you probably know a lot more than me about it, but a peacemaker's uh, greatest enemy, I think, could also be ego. And I think that works also um, on court and off court. And for girls, I feel like for us, one of the main um things that we do on the court is teamwork, like working towards a common goal, which could be winning, could be um, doing our best, playing most professionally, being the best team. And I think that works also, like it works in basketball, it works in real, real life and peacemaking. Um, working together towards a common goal as opposed to just um, trying to, uh, trying to, with our ego, be, um, be the winner, be the one to, to win. The one in the middle. I love both of those answers. I think they're really powerful. They speak to you as well. I would add another one that I've noticed in peace players is that women are much more likely to bring other people yeah. with them into the program than the boys are. You, you're bringing boys. You're bringing your brothers. You're bringing your sisters. You're bringing cousins. <laughs> like there's a. W- <laughs> You made a <laughs> Doha made an entire team out of relatives. So not only are they coming for themselves, but we've seen a tendency for women to not just have it end with themselves. They're bringing their families, they're bringing their relatives, they're bringing their friends in a way that boys don't always do as well. And and there's this adage that you know when you educate a boy, you sort of educate a boy, and when you educate a girl, you educate a village. And that there seems to be a lot of truth in that in peace players and the impact that our women are having on the success of the program in general and bringing in more people, including boys, uh, into the program. I wanted to build that groundwork because I think people do misunderstand peace players at times and think that this is a peace organization that does a little bit of basketball on the side. And I think both of you can attest, no, this is a serious basketball organization. Basketball is very important. You guys want to win basketball games. And and I would add, 
and Toot is here, she hit the game-winning shot the very first time that they won a championship, it does a lot for the organization when you're successful on the court. It actually sends a signal to the community and to other people about who you are and how serious you are, and, and it allows people to take take you seriously. And so sport's a big part of that. But we also know that a big part is bridging divides and helping you be able to see people who you've been in conflict with, as, not as enemies or as others, but but as people. And so I want to shift to that. And, and to, we'll start with you this time. Can you talk to me about those early experiences of, oh man, I, getting to know Palestinians or just being in spaces with them that you're not normally with and how that went for you? Yes. <laughs> uh, so like I said before, at first, Peace Players was just about basketball to me. Um, I would play with whoever um, challenged me the most, whoever the game would be most interesting with. And I think that's what led led me through the first few practices. But I mean, we build, now that I'm a coach, I can also see that we build our practices in a way that that forces us to to um, to um, communicate with each other. So if uh, I was put with Doha together and we, we'd have to learn how to pass, then we'd have to look each other in the eye. We'd have to um, call each other's names out. We'd have to um, pass and we have to work together in order for it to work well, both during drills and then when we would play on the court. And I think that's how gradually we, we became um, teammates. I think that was that would be the first step. And afterwards, we started becoming friends and talking um, after practices, before practices, meeting up, going to the mall, going out to eat, going, um, stopping on the way to games, talking on WhatsApp and on text messaging all the time. And now, like, Doha and Aisha have become one of my best friends. But I think um, I never realized what a big difference we were making or what a huge deal it was when we were inside, when it was just us on the court or together or even just the two of us walking around in the mall. I think the times when I realized that this was unusual when is when we were met, we were faced with, with the outside. And um, I think that happened in away games when we had uh, difficult crowds. It happened um, when I would talk to my friends in school and they would ask, um, you want to come hang out with us after school? And I said, no, I have, um, I'm hanging out with my friend Doha. And Doha is a very Arab name. Um, and for them something was off for them it wasn't usual for me to hang out with uh, someone named Doha after school and that's I think when I first realized that what we were doing is is actually very different in the Jerusalem usual scene okay how about you Doha um so uh, you know like that change won't happen in in a day or a night it takes sometimes it takes in a month three months sometimes year it's not an easy thing especially when you you know when you're in conflict and everyone is like every, everyone is against you you hear sometimes uh racist stuff about you you know like you know deep down some people are against what you do but in the end, um, you want to do what's right for you. You want to do what makes you happy. You want to do something that less violence and it's, it's a win-win for everyone. No one's hurt. Everyone's happy. Everyone's good. Um, so uh, as you mentioned before, you said something about the level of basketball. I think the level of basketball is a really important thing. Like, you know, in the beginning, we used to practice a lot and we became a really good players. And when we went to twin with other girls from other places and they had like the same uh, the same uh, level of basketball, you feel, you know, you, you know, like you feel good, like you want to play with them. 
uh, especially we, when we have to do twinnings and you know mix teams and play together and you see like you know you count on them even though sometimes you never spoke their language or you didn't even know what's their name or like your your name they're really they're, their name is really hard to pronounce for you like you're not used to it but in the end like in when you play a game you you like trust them and you pass to them in order to win so you like there's instant uh trust when you see like um you know a good player that plays with you in that in the team and um so uh i remember like uh Uh, after you know uh, being a couple of years and peace players and meeting like two Hadar, Hadas, uh, Noi and everyone um, I used to tag them in my post like in, in Facebook post uh, like post and everything and um, uh, I like I, I was doing that you know like everyone's doing you know posts and everyone's going outside and do like check in with their friends and I was doing that like you know it's like a normal thing I do and then um When I went to my school where all Palestinians and Arabs, they were asking me, like, who are they? Like, they're, they're Jewish. Like, they're obviously Jewish, their names. And what you do, like, you went overnight with them? Like, what if you're doing? And and you should always be careful and everything. So I was really, like, shocked and, like, why do you still think that? Like, I know my friends, I trust them, nothing will happen. And I know that I'm not doing something wrong and everything's fine. And they have no idea what I've been through and the experience that I have. So uh, so I was really shocked that they still think in that. So, um, and also um, from that moment, I, I start really realizing that people, you know, that um, people, uh, I've been doing some changes like my like the, the girls in my age they didn't do before and also I've seen like some reactions to that and the people you know um, uh, see that so um, uh, and yeah that's what uh, happened and I like I know that there's something you know is changing maybe this is a good time to tell tell a story because things on the basketball court I think for the most part for most of the young people go pretty well And there's, there's not a lot of super big conflicts between you and other players. But a lot of it is, like Toot said, going to an arena and facing maybe a hostile crowd. Lots of people have requested Doha that you tell your side of the story about what I told or moved TED Talk about being at that sport park in, in, in Tel Aviv. And I want to talk about when there's been opposition, right? Whether it's from the other side or actually, frankly, a lot of times the opposition is as Dohan Tut have pointed out, come from their own side, right? It comes from their own family and friends who look at them and say, why are you doing this? But sometimes it comes from the other side as well. Doha, you want to tell us your perspective of what happened on that in that sport park in Tel Aviv? <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, I was really young. I was around maybe 12, 13, and I don't really remember, uh, like, how I felt. But I know like everything when, uh, so in the beginning I spoke a little English, but not Hebrew. And uh, I've seen like the, the look on their faces that they were saying, you know, negative stuff or people are refusing to leave the court, even though like, uh, like some of the teams they played before in the court and the second they, they came in, they didn't, and we come, it was our turn, they refused to. And, uh, I remember when we were playing and I was kind of shooting and uh, going for a layups. I've hear, you know, if I missed it, I hear something. Maybe I didn't understand what he said, but I still hear uh, like heard something. 
and uh, it doesn't matter maybe it was something good or <laughs> i don't know but probably from the look of their faces it was kind of they, they kind of uh were mad or like you know kind of a little bit sarcastic and uh, yeah <laughs> and uh, so after the game they were yeah um af- can you hear me so after the game, I remember like everyone was gathering and you yeah. wanted to, to take us to the side so we can just leave, uh, you know, fast from these guys. And I I remember I went for them and uh, I said, like, uh, thank you for letting us uh, use the court. And uh, I don't know why this came. Like, I don't know why I do it, but I felt like I want to do it. And uh, and maybe if I thank them, they won't, you know, make a lot of troubles for like the next team. Like we were, you know, all mixed teams. So a lot of my friends, there are people that I know will play in other games. So I thought if I thank them, they would, uh, they wouldn't do the same uh, for the other girls, other teammates, were, like that they're gonna play next. So um, the second I told them that. Uh, they were like happy. They were high fiving me, and they were saying, "Ah, oh, you played good, good job, and everything." And then I, uh, I went. It was an amazing transformation. I mean, one, the bravery on your part to go do something like that. When actually, as the coach, I was trying to get you out of there, and for you to break away and do that. I mean, that's definitely a Doha thing to do. She's always a little bit the rebel in the group as well, but in this case, in a gr- in a good way. But also then to see the change in their attitude and and what that meant for them in that moment, I think, was was dramatic. And a lot of times, you know, I talk a lot about this in the book, our our instinct when someone has fire towards us is to meet fire with fire, right? To come back and to say something mean or bad back to them as well, because they're misbehaving, they're mistreating you, they're adults, they should not be talking to children this way at all. But when you respond the way that you did by seeing them as people, it had a had an amazing, uh, amazing, amazing I think reaction and and was the start of the legend of Doha uh, in in peace players. Not only because of that, but because of all of her teammates and what her teammates saw her do, and and how that affected them. I think was really incredible. To a lot of people, question: You're in the army for three years. There's a conflict going on, but you have friends, close friends that are Palestinians. I mean, you've you've dramatically changed the way that you see them. How did that work in the army? That's a good question, Chad. Um, so Doha knows a lot about this, that before I enrolled in the army, I was having a really, really hard time. I don't know if everybody knows, but in Israel, um, the army service is mandatory uh, for girls and boys. And I grew up into this reality knowing that at the age of 18, I would go to the army for two or three years. I knew that would happen. That was like the truth. Um, there wasn't any question about it, um, at least not from for all of my friends. I mean, like in America, um, children would be or teenagers would be, would be talking about college and where they're going and what's cool now. That would be with us, with me and my Israeli friend where where am I gonna go to the army um where are you gonna go what are you gonna do and and that's um usually the conversation for me it was always a little bit different growing up in peace players having Palestinian friends for me it was more difficult it was more questions like uh um what am I gonna take with me what can't I take with me um how are you gonna accept the fact that I'm gonna be a soldier I mean for for me maybe I know soldiers as my older friends 
friends, as my cousins, um, but for Doha and, uh, and Aisha and all of my other Palestinian friends, um, soldiers is a very different image. Um, it's the people who stand in checkpoints. It's the people uh, who wear uniforms. And, and it was always a very, very hard concept for me to grasp. Um, 12th grade was not an easy year for me trying to think like what was gonna what the future was gonna was gonna look like um and actually ironically enough the people that helped me most uh were Doha and Aisha and my coach and all my Palestinian friends and that I would uh, actually sit down and have a conversation with them about it I do remember um the conversations well we had many but there was one distinct conversation I remember I had with uh, Doha and Aisha about it and um I remember that at the end they said that now they have a face to this soldier. They have a face of me, of me that I grew up in this program. Um, getting to know Doha is Doha, Aisha is Aisha, and also all Arab is human beings, not only as pictures in the newspaper as the others or even as the enemy. And I think, um, and I appreciate that that's what they told me, that having me be a soldier now um, makes them also think about it differently. And that's um, what I went into the army uh, thinking. And that's what I tried to do during the three years of my service. I, I always tried to remember, what would Doha say? What would Doha feel about it? How am I going to stay a human being through this um, and still stay friends with Doha? Um, I don't think it was easy. I mean, I, I remember distinctly there was one time that we were planning to meet up downtown and i was just coming back from uh, two weeks at base and i had no time to change my uniform and i was really anxious like i told talk to you in the phone to doha and i told her listen i don't know if i'm gonna get the time to change i'm really sorry that you have to see me like this i promise i'm gonna change really really quickly and she said dude it's you i love you you're my friend like i i'll it would be weird but i i of course i just want to hug you and i want to see you the way you are and i remember that being as a a really big moment for me and I think that's um, what made me be stronger during this time. So thank you Doha also. This is a good opportunity to speak that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. You know like um, we, uh, like in the art like when I see soldiers at the checkpoint or everything or, or elsewhere uh, I've seen like most of the time, not all the time, I've seen mean people, like the witches do bad, especially if you have, you know, uh, your mother, your aunt with hijab on and every, like, you know, they, they really, uh, sometimes, you know, they're mean to you, but the, the sec like, you know, since I know like some people like Toot with their, her mindset and her kindness is in the, in the army, like it makes you more relief, you know, like you, you, you know, like in the army, there is like people that they respect you and they will love you and they will and see I you as one people. Of <laughs> so thank you too for that. And I think one of the things I also tried to do is I, like, you know me and you know that I grew up in the program and that I have the peace players values, but what I tried to do is also trying to like, to tell my friends in the army as well. My friends growing up eventually knew about Peace Bears, knew that I was a uh, basketball player from Peace Bears um, with air best friends. But I, I came into the army, this different place where no one knew who I was. And I tried to stay uh, true to my Peace, to peace Bears roots. I mean, I always wore uh, Peace Bears t-shirts in the army, which is pretty, pretty crazy. I would always tell my friends like, where I came, uh, where I came from and, um, I think you've even met some of my friends from the army, which is crazy. <laughs> they all 
Yeah, I did. <laughs> Doha, is this a little more challenging on, on your side? You know, I, a lot of people in Israel and Palestine know about this, but maybe not so much out, outside. There's anti-normalization ideas in Palestinians that it's actually, you shouldn't be friends with Israelis. You shouldn't do work or collaborate um, with Israelis. In fact, sometimes it can actually be very dangerous for Palestinians to do so. How... I think this is something that people don't really understand is that both of you, by doing what you're doing, it's often very unpopular with your own mm-hmm. groups. And I think sometimes, especially for Palestinians, dangerous. Yeah. Um, so I, like all the years growing up in peace players, uh, I've always been, you know, careful and uh, like really, you know, taking care of, you know, like the public social media and the pictures or like videos or anything that uh, really shows me my full name and uh, sometimes my face and everything I say about the other side or about my experience in Peace Players. Uh, because like, you know, the more you grow up, you more like you'll be more responsible of your action, uh, especially, you know, for the anti-normalization movements and a lot of people were, you know, would really sometimes really physically harm you. and. Um, and sometimes, you know, a lot of people from relatives, uh, my neighbors, they always throw, you know, some words about that. And uh, um, but but now it's it's like like for my like for my family and relatives and the neighbors, it's kind of you know I'm kind of open to them about it because um, I've been like so many years in the program. I've did a lot of things in the program, like in my in my life. I had like a really good future. I, I start coaching. I've always been improving, and I and I I did you know like I've been someone that uh, a lot of the my my neighbors. Uh, yeah, like you know, children they want to be like Doha. They were saying they want to play basketball. They want to join team. So, um, being me being you know continuing peace players, especially and when my neighbors and the people close to me see me grow up in the program, their children some most of them they want really want to be a part of peace players or they want to do something like how I did. It sounds you know like kind of you know bragging or <laughs> or whatever. But um, um, so this is what really happens. But um, I've always been careful. I've always been um, making sure that uh, I don't talk in front, like you know, uh, openly to everyone. Especially when I studied in Ramallah, I studied in um, in Birzeit University, and it's a uh, university. Is let's say it's totally against what I learned at Peace Players. They're really not uh, into anything with the Israeli or like not even like you know one small Hebrew word could. Be could be spoken there and uh, I've really I was really it was really hard for me actually it was uh, it wasn't easy um like a lot of years in peace players and not be able to speak to in university kind of really hard but I was really like I was managing to speak to close friends but I was always you know hiding that from everyone and it's really not easy but um, this is the right thing to do in some, some situation both of you I've known you at least for 10 years, uh, Doha a little bit longer. I, I tell people all the time, and I hope, I actually think this podcast is going to help capture that. You're heroes of mine and and many other people that, that you work with, because this takes a lot of courage. 
it takes a lot of courage to to see people as people and you've both given great examples of that and and that's one of the biggest core values the bedrock of peace players right is that we see people as people not objects the inside outside transformation right that we don't wait for the other person to turn we turn first towards others and and how you're doing that whether it's in the army or doha in your village or um, with people that that don't necessarily want to hear what you have to say and don't even agree with what it is that you're doing, but you're changing their perspective. And as you said, putting a face on that, it takes an incredible amount of courage. And I don't think people totally understand that it would be easier for you to not do this, but because of who you are and how special you are, you're not choosing the easy path. You're choosing the hard one, but the hard one has some benefits as well. How has peace players changed your life dude i'll start with you um well you you said that peace player is not the easy way and i agree with that but i feel like it's the only way i mean mm-hmm. maybe it's since like i had my eyes opened i can't see a way of going back i think this is the only way it's gonna work um you're asking to your question how has peace players changed my life and i'm there's so many like i could tell you about um my future, my plans for the future, which I'm sure would be so different without Peace Bears. I could tell you about all my friends, um, about the way it impacted my family. Um, but I think I will tell you this one specific story of impact just to show um, how impactful it can be in this everyday life and the little things. Um, we talked a lot about uh, this girl named Aisha. She's a really good friend of both of ours and she was on our team um, through all the years um and this moment with her i think showed me best like what what peace bears really impact had on my life um it was back in 2014 so a long time ago um for whoever know there, there was a, a war back here um between gaza and israel and it was a, not a very safe time we were um there were sirens all the time. We were called to the shelter, um, school was off, and uh, we were at our house. Of course, there was no practices, we couldn't meet. Um, I remember we had this big dinner planned that we had to cancel because of uh, this big uh, Ramadan dinner that we had to cancel because of uh, the war. And uh, there was one time there was a siren um, in Jerusalem. Um, It's like a 10 minute siren, a 10 second siren, you have to run into your shelter and you have to stay there for an additional 10 minutes and uh, my family all gathered there we took the dog we, we went down to the shelter um, checking in with everyone that's okay calling my grandmother and as I was um, checking my phone I saw that I got a text message from my from my friend Aisha from my Palestinian friend Aisha living on the other side of Jerusalem she wrote to me um, dude how are you how is your family are you okay and this this little text message it takes Two seconds to write. It's a, a very normal expression of friendship for anyone else. I think that's what showed me um, the real impact Peace Players had in my life. As I was in a Jewish Israeli going to my shelter and trying to stay safe during this time of, of war, Aisha, my Palestinian friend, was thinking of me and sending me this message. And I think that's the real impact of Peace Players, this strong friendships um, that last forever and last through um, through these sides, this Israeli and Palestinian side, which is, you know, when, when you see this, you see that it's all, it's all a fiction. It's not real. Um, 
where it matters between friends, between people. Um, and I could tell you, like I said, I could tell you a bunch of different points of impact, but I think this little story from hmm. six years ago uh, shows it best. Amazing. Amazing. Doha? Um, so you used the term of uh, peace players changed you. And I think it's it's a different. It's peace players made my life. Um, I don't think I would imagine my life without peace players. Um, it's the life that I want. It's the life that I dreamed of. It's the life that I made. Uh, give me the opportunity to make a change. You know, like I come from a family that is, you know, um, been through much you could say uh, i have a lot of people that they live in the west bank they can't come to to, us, to see us only us going there i have people that went to, to the prisons i have uh, my grandfather was uh, a shaheed like he he was killed in war and i i know that um in my family um they always experience the violence way of of life and I think in Peace Players, I've experienced, and I was really lucky and blessed to know that there is another way that is not violence. There is something that instead of, you know, hating, it's loving. Instead of, you know, um, living in a bubble uh, around your community, hating the other side. No, you just get out of your bubble, see the world. And, you know, like the conflict, today is the Independence, Israel Independence Day, and it's our Nakba Day. And it. Israel been here for 71 years and uh, and I remember all these years they were like you know both sides are using violence both both sides were killing each other bombing throwing rocks hurting each other and you know like no one's making any change the politics is, did nothing and but my small experience as the 14 years it actually made a change it actually made me uh, see the world differently and also made me um, make a change of not seeing people as, you know, ha not hating my neighbors, not, not you know, uh, being mad. It's easy to get mad, but it's really hard to love. It's not easy. It, th this thing doesn't come really easy. It, it, this thing is, is, is really hard, but um, life is not easy and you always have to take, you know, different uh, things and you always have to work on yourself. That's why we're humans, not something else. And uh, and I know, like, whatever we do in Peace Players is, is a small thing. It's just like a small village. But I know, like, one day we're going to be big. And, uh, you know, I, I really love to say this saying because I really believe in it. And I always say that Thousand Miles Journey starts with one step. And I guess we were the one who's taken it. I, I've met a lot of people in Peace Players. And I know one of the, like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of us will be in different positions in, in the community as a coach, as a bus driver, as a teacher, as a prime minister who works in the government everywhere. Prime minister, probably too. <laughs> and I know like everyone could make a change from there. We're going to be um, spreading our message to everyone. And I think uh, Peace Players, you know, started small, but nothing, you know, everything starts small and always grow up. And, and I think uh, I'm really glad and I'm really blessed to, to be part of this change, to be part of this organization, to be, to be, you know, to live the life that I really, really want to love, the life of not, not violence, a life of love. Well, for those of you that always know me and wonder why I'm always traveling halfway around the world to the Middle East, now you know. I get to work with people like this every day uh, who are incredible and 
what's the game plan, long-term game plan for peace players? These young women grow up and they start making huge impacts in their communities and ultimately in their countries. And it's what gives me hope, not just for Israel, Palestine, the Middle East, uh, but but for the world. And Peace Players is doing awesome, great work in, in Northern Ireland, in Cyprus, in South Africa, in Detroit, in Baltimore, in, in Brooklyn, in Chicago, and L.A. right now. And this is where I make a little plea to our listeners. They need help. COVID-19 has ravaged so many communities in so many ways, and, and some of the hardest hit are nonprofit organizations. And especially in the case of peace players, they serve populations that are often at risk uh, as well. So the basketballs have stopped dribbling for a bit, but we haven't stopped at peace players. We're out doing all sorts of work via Zoom and what have you. But our big concern is what happens when the basketballs are able to start uh, dribbling again and and we need your support. And so I'm donating all of the profits to my new book, Dangerous Love, to Peace Players. We are asking you to go to dangerouslovebook.com and pre-order a copy of Dangerous Love. It, it includes stories of two and Doha in the book as well. And I will take all of my profits from your pre-order and donate those back, Peace Players, so that more young people like this can get the opportunity to, to lead and to, to see each other as people and, and to grow into the incredible people and coaches and leaders um, that they become. So please go to DangerousLoveBook.com. You'll see that there's going to be a link to Peace Players and Dangerous Love. Buy the book. I'll donate my proceeds. And if you have it in your heart, there'll also be a, a link there to donate to Peace Players as well. And you can you can even donate more than the cost of the book. And it will go to an incredibly important, good cause. And you will help build and sustain people like Toot and Doha who are out in their communities right now creating more and more peace. Thank you so much for coming. It's late night in Jerusalem, early morning here in Hawaii to talk about Peace Players. Love you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Dangerous Love Pod with Chad Ford. Aloha. Mm-hmm.